Movie Fever. The title of this episode, Season 4, Episode 9, and I almost named it I've Got a Fever and the Only Prescription is More Movies, uh, but I feel like that would have been quite long as far as um, pod- podcast episode titles go. So I landed on Movie Fever. It works twofold, this title, because uh, number one, we are heading into the summer season of movies, and there's always the influx of blockbusters and other titles to uh, either get out and see in the theaters or now uh, stream from home. So I feel like we're we're entering into that time where people are going to be watching a lot more movies. I hope you do. Uh, but the other factor behind the uh, movie fever that I'm thinking about here is I want the discussion on this episode to really take on this simple premise, and that's what are the go-to movies to watch when we are sick, maybe with a fever, or um, really this is the idea is like not a head cold, but you know times where you've been so sick and you just have no energy, and you pretty much just lay in bed, lay around, you're reading books or watching movies, something you could do in which your brain is really only doing half the amount of work you would normally do. <laughs> it's funny, as a kid, you know, I remember... Um, in school, there were times where I would get so sick that I was at home in bed, and other times where maybe, uh, you know, I had a big test coming up or I super didn't want to feel good, so you'd try the, uh, <coughs> I got the black lung pop, and you, <laughs> and you uh, maybe ask to stay home because you're uh, not feeling well. Either way, you then uh, get that time to rest, maybe read a book or do a little movie marathoning. Uh, another way to look at this category of, of movies that you'd Watch just in the comfort of your own home. I guess comfort movies uh, can be an alternate category or title. So yeah, that's where we're headed here. Movies that you watch when you're sick and in bed or just comfort movies. Um, The criteria here in the lists that I want to go through is they're movies that are familiar. They're predictable in a good way. So these are the movies that we can just put on and they're in the background. Or like I said, we're watching them with about half of our brain capacity or multitasking. Um, So maybe not necessarily on a favorites movie list or most exciting, but they're just, they're familiar. um, They're tonally bright, including music. um, They're satisfying. They can't be high stress. Uh, So these are movies that while they can have like, you know, an action or thrilling sequence, um, it balances out. It's not too stressful. The action should be outweighed by the feel-good Um, So I've got a couple of lists comprised here, and first I went to just a couple of online sources to take a look at what are the top comfort movies or uh, feel-good movies, and a lot of these really make sense. I think they click with a lot of audiences uh, across demographics, whether that be age or gender, Um, and a lot of these on the list are what you might think. So I'll just start going through, and by the way, this is coming from like IMDb and Uh, Thrillist.com was another source that I was looking at. So you've got movies in this list like uh, The Breakfast Club, Bridget Jones' Diary, When Harry Met Sally, uh, A League of Their Own, Hallmark Movies, certainly, again, fitting into that category, no matter how you or I feel about them. (laughs) Uh, There were a few that surprised me on here, including the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Again, not uh, that they're not great. They are my favorite movies of all time. Um, But I think where I go with that is they are my favorite to savor and save for, you know, a once a year or maybe twice a year viewing um, to kind of just keep that special. 
if that makes sense. But I understand also why people might put this on a list of comfort movies or movies to put on when you're sick uh, as you, you know, get to escape into that world of Middle Earth for a while. Um, and then a couple other ones that kind of surprised me were um, Iron Giant, which I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, that kind of, again, that fits with the whole era of that kind of hand-drawn animation, uh, whether it be Disney or other studios that just kind of have this warm look to them. And sort of parallel to that, uh, I saw on the list here on IMDb, My Neighbor Totoro, and really a lot of the other Miyazaki uh, anime films. So really cool, yeah. And we're kind of getting the idea here, right, of uh, the criteria and some of these examples. So I wanted to go ahead and list my um, five. I, I listed five movies that are my go-to. I'll never get sick of them. And when I'm sick, chances are I'm going to put one of these on um, and enjoy. And so I didn't really rank them in like a top five. These are just five. So I'll go through and I'll start with talking about any classic Disney movie for me. And maybe that's a predictable answer, um, but that's okay. I go to this actually not only because they're enjoyable, and I'm talking about the titles like Little Mermaid, Peter Pan, uh, Beauty and the Beast, you know, Pinocchio. Um, these are not only enjoyable to me to go back and just rewatch and um, maybe multitask or turn off my brain and watch them, but I also have a very specific uh, personal story and connection to a time that I was sick. I remember, um, I believe I was in middle school, adolescent years, maybe 12, 11 or 12, and um, I was, there was just one time that I got a really bad fever, high temperature. It was up to like 104 before I actually ended up going into the doctor. Um, and I remember laying in bed for several days and I had in my bedroom this like tiny TV, but it had a VHS player built into it. And this is the time in my life, the golden time in which we still owned those classic um, giant library case looking VHS tapes for the Disney animated classics. Um, and I remember just the stack of those laying next to, um, sitting next to the little TV there. And my mom was home with me at the time while I was going through this fever. And, you know, one movie would end, Pinocchio would end. Mom, can you come in and change? She'd come in and pop the next one in, Peter Pan, awesome. Next, Alice in Wonderland. And I just ended up doing this classic Disney uh, marathon um, and I like to think that it helped me get better. I don't know. Could have been in the medicine and the crackers and 7-Up. Um, anyway, moving on in the list, Princess Bride. Princess Bride, I, I feel, has to be there. or make a pretty strong case for it in that um, it has everything, as I've talked about on the podcast before. It is a classic, and it's a classic for a reason. It's got the action and the humor and the romance and um, just... a a classic adventure tale. And like I said earlier, with some of the components like the music and the look of it, it's bright. Uh, you know, the good guy wins in the end. It's just good comfort food material. And not to mention that at the start of the movie, the reason you get into the story is, what's the grandpa doing? He's reading to his grandson who's homesick. Um, and then we get to join in on, on that adventure. So there's a lot of connection there. Uh, next movie I have in my list is Forrest Gump. This might seem like out of left field, like an odd one, but I go to the criteria here of it's just so predictable. I've seen it so many times, really like some of the others on the list that, um, you know, I know what's coming and no, not all of it is happy. Uh, it's quite sad in parts or thrilling in other parts. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, Tom Hanks just brought such a warmth to that role, that character, um, that that is definitely a movie that I will never get sick of, get tired of. Even though I feel like a lot of uh, audiences are kind of putting it into this odd category of it was timeless, but now it feels more specific to its time. I don't know. I don't agree. I don't feel that way, but that's okay. We can disagree. Um, last couple on my list, I have Dan in real life. Um, a lot of what brings me to this movie for feeling comfort or just putting on when I'm not feeling well is uh, twofold. It's it's a character and it's um, location. So I believe this was filmed somewhere in the Northeast. It very much has that look and vibe. They might even say what town it is in the movie. I don't remember. But it's a family vacation in this cabin on the East Coast. Um, and that's just comfort to me. And then also Steve Carell, just doing a really good job playing this guy, Dan, who's a single father trying to do his best. And uh, it's fairly uncharacteristic of a lot of his other roles, especially earlier on in his career. So I like it. It's a, it's a comeback to for me pretty frequently. And I'm probably due for another watch, actually. Um, last one on my list is It's a Wonderful Life. And <laughs> maybe the most controversial on my list. Um, for nothing else the length, right? I mean, this is quite a long movie, and I've talked about that um, on the podcast before with my wife. We've laughed about that. And uh, no, not all of this movie is happy either tonally, um, but the ending, as always, is uh, worth the time invested in it, and George Bailey as a character, and what Jimmy Stewart was able to do with that character, again, just uh, bringing a real warmth to the overall story. And I feel like this one has sort of oddly fallen into this category for me, not just because I love it and can watch it anytime, but I mean, it is more of considered more of a Christmas time movie. And that just so happens to be uh, the time in which I'm normally feeling ill. Uh, there's there's these weird windows. Now, I have to brag for a little bit right now in a weird way um, in that I don't get sick as frequently as I used to. I think I'm trying to keep up with health and fitness and things, and so I think that's working out well, but uh, I used to get sick all the time. But whether it was then or now, there seems to be these weird windows for me where it's like I could pretty much count on the time between Thanksgiving and just after Christmas, I'm going to get sick somewhere in there. Uh, and then the other time, oddly enough, is like dead middle of summer, like July, August. Maybe it's the heat. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, as I can pretty much count on every year getting sick uh, at least once throughout the holiday season, it's a wonderful life. I'm going to put it on and uh, it's going to give me those warm and fuzzies just as effective as a good chicken soup. Uh, but there you go. There's my list. And and I would encourage you, uh, movie lovers, moviegoers, to maybe put together a list of your own and then let me know what are your go-to comfort movies or movies you'll never get sick of, movies you put on when you are just sick and tired. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and move on to a quick, no, another quick segment here of Real Ramblin' recommendations. And I'm going to recommend a couple of different movies to you that I have watched recently. And when I do this, sometimes it's going to be a movie from like, I don't know, 20 years ago that I just haven't gotten around to watching. But other times, like today, uh, it will be movies that are pretty fresh. Uh, I believe both still in theaters. Um, but I want to tell you a little bit about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, as well as the movie titled Paint, and then my thoughts on both. So I'll start with Guardians Volume 3. Uh, this was released May 5th, 2023, and yes, it is still in theaters. I just checked. Um, it's directed by James Gunn, who directed the first two installments of this franchise. Overall, I, I liked this movie very much. 
Um, because again, I think it's on theme with this episode in that I, I feel that I pretty well knew what I was going into um, in terms of tone and story. It's the same director, so it has that um, going for it. Plus, I just feel like in the age of uh, online discussion based on trailers and you know rumors over movies that have yet to be released, you typically get the premise and the main flavor for a movie before you actually go in and sit down and watch it in its entirety. That's been my experience, at least. Um, and I realize there's pros and cons to that, of course, but that's the reality of it. And additionally, it's it's hard not to go in with some kind of bias, right? Even if that bias is uh, in favor of a film, as was the case for me here. I will say that the way in which some of the sequences in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 um, were executed, it did surprise me. But overall, it was a formula that you know and love or hate if you don't like this particular franchise. Um, but it was the same formula through and through. And I feel like um, it was a return to form, really, for, for showcasing what Marvel can do. And that is deliver an entertaining movie that has some stakes for the characters, but still feels pretty self-contained and not bogged down by the big multiverse canon stuff. Um, I feel like Marvel was able to do that long ago for a while um, with all of your Avengers team-up movies and standalone character films. And yes, they've kind of come away from that a little bit in the recent phases. But this movie, for me at least, it really brought me back in. Um, I enjoyed Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Um, but even with that, it, it felt very larger than life. Um, and this one, this Guardians 3, really was just like a return to enjoying uh, characters and funny moments that are actually funny and not forced. And I don't know, I really liked it. Um, for myself, and I think most fans of the Guardians of the Galaxy team, uh, Rocket Raccoon is a favorite, or at least he's probably the most memorable member of the team. I was thrilled to see how much more... Uh, more depth his character received in this story, despite the fact that he's in a sort of coma for most of the movie. Um, the script does something really unique and creative, and it uses flashbacks to fill in more of his backstory, which is heartbreaking, by the way. Um, but then near the end, he's he's back in the fight, and you feel like you're rooting for him that much more. Or should I say, grooting for him? Sorry. No, but it was cool to see um, Will Poulter as well, actor Will Poulter, enter the MCU here uh, with this ca character, Adam Warlock. Um, it's a character that I admittedly don't know much about, but I thought he was effective nonetheless, and I think the writers did a great job of telling you who he was, um, even if the why is Adam Warlock, as Drax would phrase it, was not uh, you know, thoroughly answered. Um, but Will Poulter as an actor, again, he's he's so good. I, I've been saying that since his performance as Eustace Scrub in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And I think he's grown even more as an actor since then. So hopefully uh, in critics and audiences seeing this, it will be obvious that uh, he needs to be in more um, movies, more roles. And I'm hoping that he'll even get the call to reprise his role uh, in Narnia for the, uh, there's an upcoming rumored adaptation of The Silver Chair with maybe New Line Cinema, maybe the same, or maybe it's Walden Media. Who who makes the Chronicles of Narnia franchise, the, the more recent one? It's backed by Disney. Anyway, there's a silver chair coming up, folks. 
and um, yeah, Will Poulter reprising his role as Eustace Scrub. I would love to see that. Now, you'd, you'd need to make him look and sound slightly younger again, um, but, I mean, technology can do anything, so I have no doubts there. Uh, but back to Guardians 3, my final thoughts really is uh, my absolute favorite scene. I want to share that. It has to be the ending, um, just before the, the, the first set of credits. With Marvel movies, there's always, like, multiple sets of credits, mid-credit scene, bonus end of credit scene, but I'm talking about just the end of the movie before the credits roll. Um, it's a longer sequence that sort of shows like where the members of the time are at or where they're headed uh, on their continuing journeys. And I think it's just displayed in a really cool way. Um, it, it, their journeys are displayed in a locational sense, like where do they end up physically, but also emotionally, which is really cool. Um, and in rhythm with Gunn's previous two installments, music plays a big role I think, in eliciting different emotions. Uh, and the ending scene of this movie is just particularly fun and packs a big punch. It starts with Rocket selecting a song um, on the uh, Zune MP3 player that, that was gifted to him from Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord. And uh, the song he chooses is Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machine. And by the way, that's just one of my favorite songs to begin with. I love it. Uh, it has a great hook from the very start. It's got lots of energy. There's a great uh, drop-off and build-up later on in the song. But anyway, so Rocket puts the song on, and then he proceeds to look around him just at all the happy celebration happening. Um, and then he starts to join in in the dancing, and he's got this... It builds and builds, and he's got this, like, jubilant laugh and holler um, that just... Like, how can that not bring a smile to your face, considering everything that's happened to him, both his horrible past... And then just the growth that we've been able to see his character experience from the first movie all the way up to this one, it just really worked for me. It was a, a nice, happy note to end on. It ends on a great note. Um, and I think, in my opinion, I mean, the, the franchise also ended on a great note with this movie. Now, I say end, but is it really done there? No, we know the Guardians will be back. It's Marvel. Um, but it won't happen in the same exact way, as is the case pretty frequently here with these these characters and franchises. At any rate, um, I'm looking forward to more, that's for sure. Has this movie and the love for this particular team of characters been enough to bring people back into uh, a rhythm of watching Marvel movies after, you know, fatigue or installments that maybe didn't sit right with certain people? I don't know. Um, time will tell with that. But moving on, I've got another recommendation for you, and this movie is called Paint. Uh, it's released. It was released in April of 2023, and it's directed by Brick McAdams. Uh, okay, my initial thoughts, really, from the trailer were: I think I would really enjoy this movie, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that I did. But I think the initial draw for me were several factors all in one. Number one, you have Owen Wilson playing a Bob Ross type, um, and yes, that works. That's hilarious. He's got the hair and the beard and the soothing voice. And so that drew me in right away. And then also, I grew up watching uh, The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross. That was the title of his show on public access television. Um, so the mood of this movie really, I think, nailed that down. Um, and yes, it's played for laughs at times, but also it just it really did bring back some of my fond memories of watching that show and just kind of feeling relaxed and happy. Um, and Bob Ross was great with with doing that despite any of the behind the scenes stuff maybe of his life um, that I think is also attempted at portraying here in this character um, but 
you know, Bob Ross was, of course, he, he's kind of experienced a renaissance when his reruns came back on Netflix. Um, but I enjoyed the show. I must brag on this. I enjoyed the show uh, when it was still back on public access television. Um, I also liked what the trailer was able to do in painting a picture, no pun intended, of kind of just a, a general like Wes Anderson-esque dramedy, which I, I am drawn to that a lot more typically than like a straight comedy. Um, so yeah, I, I was all in. Bottom line, I was all in on this movie, I think, from the very beginning. Um, again, I'm admitting bias there. But after the fact, after watching it, you know, I would say, was it the best movie I've ever seen? No. Um, I am, however, still recommending it to those like me who maybe don't gravitate towards comedy as a first choice, um, but I think paint achieves funny without beating you over the head with it, and that's what I liked about it. And on that note, I couldn't help but, as I was watching and after, I can't help but continuously compare uh, the movie Paint with Anchorman, um, because the core premise is almost identical, uh, just with different professions. You have a painter who you know, doesn't really want to uh, give up his notoriety and pave the way for, you know, new, fresh painters, just as you had the same kind of thing with the news anchor with Will Ferrell's character in Anchorman. Um, but where Anchorman fell short for me is it's just too much. It's it's over the top. Um, and that's, yes, very much the style of a typical Will Ferrell comedy. So maybe that's not a fair comparison, but I'm going to still go ahead and refer to this movie as a grounded Anchorman, like a subtle version of Anchorman. Uh, and to be fair, one of the positives of Anchorman was the, I feel like, the energy of its ensemble. I mean, you remember Steve Carell alone, his character just being hysterical. Um, and, and Paint, on the other hand, is a bit muted with its ensemble cast. Um, so there's that. But in my final thoughts, I, I think this movie was entertaining. It was refreshingly simple. Um, and that makes me sad that it it doesn't seem to be getting stellar reviews. It's not in the center of the radar. And maybe the story and other elements don't deserve those kinds of reviews, but um, I can't help but wonder, you know, if these smaller, more subtle movies don't gain traction, then what's the alternative? You know, you you can't carry the industry on the shoulders of the blockbusters forever. Um, and I feel like we should at least give movies like Paint a chance. So if you plan on watching Paint, uh, let me know your thoughts afterwards, please. I really enjoyed it. It's an offbeat, somewhat irreverent comedy. Be aware of that with the rating. It's not a sit down and watch with your younger kids, that sort of thing. But for the most part, I mean, it's it's fairly what I would call clean. And it has surprising heart and character development. So I liked uh, the whole package, and I'm always a fan of Owen Wilson. I, just, <laughs> I can't help but wonder. So the character's name, by the way, is Carl Nargle. So I have to wonder, like, did they have the character name and everything written out and then they said, we need Owen Wilson? Or were they thinking of kind of a role for Owen Wilson and then afterwards they developed the character name? Either way, you know, someone was just thinking, okay, this is going to be great because Wilson's going to be able to say, I am Carl Norgel. <laughs> Love Owen Wilson. All right. We are starting to wrap up here on this episode, but I'm going to end with a fun question for you all. So we're kind of back to blockbusters. And um, knowing that we're heading into the summer blockbuster season. So I want to ask you, what 2023 summer blockbuster is on your radar? Um, I haven't really even looked at the full list of what's coming in the next few months. But I know uh, currently you've got The Little Mermaid that was like just released at the time of this recording um, a few days ago. 
and it seems to be doing surprisingly well with uh, audiences, despite some of the backlash it was receiving before it even released. I think that one's on my list, maybe not most excited or intrigued, but um, I'm sure I will make the trip to the theater to, to watch it with my kids. Um, but then, of course, there's possibly even bigger titles with uh, big directors behind them in Oppenheimer with Christopher Nolan, as well as, of course, Indiana Jones 5, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Um, really excited and curious to see what's going to happen with both of those and uh, how they're received and box office numbers and all that. But um, my answer to this question, what 2023 summer blockbuster is on my radar or what I'm most excited for, I have to say the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Not because I think this is going to be the best movie of the summer, but it is a book-to-film adaptation, and I'm always intrigued at what directions are going to be taken and how close it will stay to the source material, what new, fresh, exciting additions will be made, and uh, will the you know directing and casting choices be uh, the right ones. Uh, now, it appears to be, um, from the trailers, the same sort of style and look, and I believe it is the same team, uh, being directors, writers, producers, as uh, the Hunger Games series was. Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, by the way, I should mention, is the sort of prequel to The Hunger Games. This book was released a few years ago. Um, let's see, publication date, there you go. May 19, 2020 is when the book came out. I bought it when it first came out. I read through it really quickly. It's an it's a easy read and, and fairly enjoyable. Um, and actually, just about a month ago, I started rereading it because I know this movie's coming. And I will say it's enjoyable, but maybe not justified, maybe not necessary. I want to say it's only about 10 years prior to the events of The Hunger Games, where they pick up. And with an origin to The Hunger Games story, what I want to see with that is like go all the way back to the very first Hunger Games. Prior to that, the war between the, the first war between the capital and the tributes, the rebellion, all that. I think that'd be really intriguing. But um, what's interesting about this story, of course, is that it mostly follows Coriolanus or Coriolanus uh, Snow, the uh, big bad evil president from The Hunger Games series. Um, and Suzanne Collins, I think, wrote in some really interesting twists and turns and character development with Snow in uh, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So that's really what I'm most excited to see on screen. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So what is your answer? What's your summer blockbuster this year that you're most looking forward to, most on your radar? And reach out to me. Let me know. Hey, if you want to chat with me just in general about movies, you can find Real Ramblin' on social media at Real Ramblin', or send an old-fashioned email to realramblin' at gmail.com. Don't forget to catch other episodes of the podcast on Google, Spotify, and other platforms. Hey, I want to thank you for listening, and uh, until next time, keep watching and loving movies. Keep on rambling. See ya.